Okay, so we're going to pick up where Brittany left off in uh, Luke 22. Um, she finished with verse uh, 18. So pick up with uh, verse 19. He took some of the bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. <clears throat> After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of God must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. <clears throat> then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you, as one who serves. Skipping down verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. God, I ask that you would open our spiritual eyes and help us to understand the scripture and help us to understand you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. We're on a, on a series from now through the end of the year that we're just taking the title, Jesus Is. And we're jumping around a little bit in Luke. Uh, Luke, a doctor, a person who was alive at the time that all of this was occurring, it took very careful uh, time and energy to give an accurate account of what occurred, of who Jesus is and what his life meant and um, pulling together all of the different eyewitness accounts of what happened with Jesus. And the topic this morning for us is Jesus is forgiveness. And very briefly, I want to point out a couple of ways in which Jesus forgives right here in this story. Now remember, Jesus, 100% human, 100% God, in a body, a person with a mind, with a will, with emotions, with thoughts. Now, right here in this situation, we have what to us is now sacred as the Lord's Supper and a practice where we, at times, uh, like we just did, a little bit like a love feast that the disciples did, where it has some joy to it, where it is also a part of us sharing with each other. And that's a, a topic for another day in and of itself. But what we see here is that even in the context of this important moment, Jesus is very careful to describe his forgiveness and then illustrate his forgiveness in a couple of different ways. We have in this first passage his reference that this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice 
for you. We start with this big picture of forgiveness, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. But what we have right after this big picture of forgiveness is Jesus begins to talk about the person that would betray him into the hands of those Jewish leaders and Roman authorities that would seek to kill him and eliminate any possible threat of his disruption of their racket. And what happens after Jesus talks about, makes it clear that someone will betray him? The disciples start to argue. And they argue about who who here would betray him. You have, you know, at least a dozen men that have been with Jesus three years, walking the earth, sharing time together. They argue about that. But then what do they do immediately after that? They argue about which one of them will be the greatest. Are you kidding me? But for the grace of God, probably would have been me there too. Jesus illustrates forgiveness even in that moment. Do you notice that when Jesus forgives someone, he doesn't always feel the need to declare it. He just does it. Because what does Jesus do? He doesn't correct them in that moment with a direct sense of confrontation as is so easy for us. Instead, he begins to describe what the kingdom of God is like in servant leadership. We're going to talk about servant leadership next Sunday, but I want you to notice that this is one way that we can, in our own conversations with other people, forgive without declaring, I forgive you. Do you hear me? There's there's a forgiveness to that. And then we have in verse 31 and 32 and following, Jesus is preparing Peter for his own betrayal of him. And here is another example of Jesus on this earth with a mouth, with eyes, face to face, showing his forgiveness. Jesus describes Peter's betrayal of him not to expose him in front of the others, but to prepare him for his restoration. Jesus forgives him, and even without verbally saying, I forgive you for that in a direct way that we need it spelled out for us today, in a more subtle way, in an indirect way, he is declaring, Peter, you are going to betray me, but when you come back, strengthen your brothers. There is forgiveness in that moment. Are you with me? He is preparing Peter For when he would be at his worst, he prepared Peter for when life would crush him, when his own mistakes, not what other people did against him or said against him or how life hurt him or bankrupt him, but how he would bankrupt himself, how he would deny Jesus, how he would deny three times that he ever knew Jesus. Jesus prepares him for that moment. Jesus' forgiveness is not for when you feel you have it all figured out. Jesus' forgiveness is not for that moment. Jesus' forgiveness is for when you know you don't have it figured out. Jesus' forgiveness is when you know you have nothing to offer. It's so easy to feel... Well, I can't approach God. I can't come to church. I can't approach God. I can't approach His people unless I have something to offer. I understand that feeling, but there is pride in it. 
And it's not how God wants you to come. He wants you to come empty. Now, He created you with an identity, with purpose, with that which He wants you to offer after you're healed. After you're forgiven. We cannot display a faith in Jesus until we have experienced it. It's so easy to try to live our lives out of our moments of strength, which is backwards. We do so much better when we live our life out of that moment of conversion, that moment of faith in Jesus. Let's go to the next chapter. Chapter 23. I'd like to, this morning, pick it up in verse... 32. We will spend time this Christmas season with the Christmas story, and so I know this might feel a little bit backwards, but let's go visit Jesus on the cross first. Last Sunday we talked about how Jesus is selfless. Now let's read about this. Chapter 23, verse 32. This is Luke's account of what happened. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. The criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too. By offering him a drink of sour wine, they called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened to the cross above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, we come into this Thanksgiving season, my favorite holiday of the year, with a reminder to give thanks. Possibly the only time of the year that Native Americans are spoken of in a positive light. You know, I'm a Euro-mutt Norwegian immigrant with some Cherokee and have a little bit of pride that the Cherokee were a civilized people, the only one with a representative in the U.S. government, the first ones to develop their own language and their own written history. The Maskevatoon Indian nation were constantly at war with the Blackfoot. There was a chief who was particularly bloody, who loved midnight raids and all of the skullduggery and malfeasance of horrendous war. Anything that could just 
cheat. He loved it. And one night, someone told him the story of Jesus by the campfire. And this Muscovitoon chief heard this passage of Jesus saying from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He came to faith in Jesus that night, confessed his sins, confessed his faith that Jesus could forgive him. He'd had a son who had been murdered by a companion, by a trusted friend that had been witnessed from a distance. The murderer didn't know that his crime had been witnessed. And the next day, crossing the plains, a few braves came and this murderer was among them. And he didn't know that his identity had been revealed. And the chief rushed at him and pulled out his axe and readied to kill him and stopped short, gave a a short speech that's actually recorded in history, the gist of which is this, you deserve to die. You've injured me deeper than anyone ever has, defamed my people, you murdered my son. But if not for the story told me last night of Jesus, my axe would be in your skull now but I forgive you. This chief walked out that forgiveness. He did much to end the war between his people and the black feet. He was responsible for leading many Native Americans to faith in Jesus. And I'm proud to say that one of my grandfathers pastored on Indian reservations instead of taking Fancy, high-paying jobs. I, like that chief, am thankful for Jesus. And when I come to the Thanksgiving table this week, it is the forgiveness of Jesus that I am thankful for. I have to start there, just to be honest with you, in my human nature, I cannot start with the fact that I'm glad he was God, or I'm glad he lived when he did, or I'm glad he was nice, or I'm glad he had nice things to say that people who don't even believe in him still to this day quote. I don't start with any of those places. I start with his forgiveness. That from the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And we so easily miss that even in that moment, he didn't say, I forgive you, soldier Dan. I forgive you, high priest. I forgive you, mocker. No, he forgave them himself already. But he knew that it was not only himself that they had offended, but that it was Father God. He understood the purpose, the reason that he was on that cross to the Jews, a symbol of one who was cursed to the Romans, an exact science of the most excruciating way to execute a person, the longest you could keep them alive. In that moment, Jesus not only forgave them, but in his humility and in his forgiveness, he did not declare, I forgive you, because sometimes when we declare, I forgive you, we are setting ourselves up as superior. He was superior. 
He had the right to do so, but he did not. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Sometimes it's the small things, the things that are done by an oversight on accident that are so hard for us to let go. Hard for us to say inside, to make a decision inside to forgive them because they didn't even know what they were doing. You know, there's a reason that I don't get bent out of shape about profanity or other things that happen in in my neighborhood and out in front of my house all the time because I don't expect people who don't believe in Jesus to act like people that believe in Jesus and have been walking with Him for a while. I don't get offended when they take His name in vain because He can defend Himself. I don't get all bent out of shape and carry a bunch of burdenness and hurt and doubt when these things occur. Now, I am compassionate. I feel the pain. I seek to take action the way that Jesus did. Jesus didn't just feel for us. He took action. And Jesus didn't quit when it got tough. So whether you were born here or whether you are a transplant to Baltimore, living in Baltimore is not easy. Hello? Jesus did not give up when it got tough. He forgave. It's that love that wrecks me. I mean, messes me up. Messes me up. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, Jesus' personal forgiveness, of which there are many stories in Luke, and I'm encouraging you, those of you that call me your pastor, between now and the end of the calendar year, to be reading Luke over and over. Read the stories. The many examples of Jesus while he walked this earth forgiving people, if you look for them. Hello? And I think this week with Thanksgiving, as we get ready to gorge ourselves and watch football and pass out, (laughs) or whatever your tradition that we are thankful for the forgiveness for us. For our own offense. Now, I've, I feel compelled this week to explain what the forgiveness of Jesus means. Can, can, can we do that? Is that okay? Are you okay? It's why we're here. This is our kind of mission, if you will, or whatever, our big three for why we exist as a church. You'd be helping people connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share his love. Everything, the singing, the communion, the prayer, the life groups, the small groups and homes, the giving to the homeless. Everything that we do is summed up in this purpose, which I believe is from Scripture. And if you are to connect with Jesus, you cannot experience a connection with Jesus without coming to know His forgiveness. Now, to forgive, it means to remove the guilt resulting from the wrongdoing. To wipe it out. To do away with it. Why? Why did Jesus need to die? Why? Why were we in need of forgiveness? Now, I'm going to go relatively quickly and I'll post this online later today so that you can read through these scriptures yourself but if we pull back from luke and look at the rest of scripture let's ask that question why must jesus die well we sinned and therefore must die 
You cannot understand Jesus until you understand what God was doing in the garden. I would encourage you to go back to Genesis 1. And in particular, we have here chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Thanks to Adam and Eve, like it or not, believe it or not, you were born into sin. You may feel like you've lived a good life. You're not Adolf Hitler. You're not a part of the KKK. You're not a murderer. So you're good. No, you're not. You were born into sin. Thanks to Adam and Eve. You reek of it. And there's a price to be paid for sin. There's a price. We've all made mistakes. There's not a single person in this room that hasn't made mistakes. We've talked about before, with sin, there are direct consequences. Like it or not, believe it or not, the fact is we sinned and therefore must die. Now, only human could die for human. But none of us could qualify because all of us were born into sin and not one of us is clean. Eugene Peterson writes, two kids in a mud puddle can't clean each other. So it could not be one of us that would go to the cross to pay the ultimate price for the sin of all humanity. It doesn't work like that. Only God could redeem humanity. But God could not redeem humanity as God, only as human. Thus God became a sinless human by the incarnation. It's a fancy theological word that means Jesus came to the virgin birth with skin and bones, with meat, concarnate. That's where we get it. To redeem humanity back to himself. There was a specific purpose that we see throughout the New Testament and the Old that we see even in creation itself apart from Scripture. There was a specific purpose for Jesus coming to earth to bring us back to Father God. God couldn't do it from heaven. He couldn't do it removed. He couldn't do it separate. He needed to become God with us. Now, let's just, if we could, exercise our brains this morning and dig a little bit deeper into what this means. The holiness of God against the sinfulness of humanity produced the reaction of divine wrath. It is the wrath that needed appeasement before a holy God and sinful humanity could ever be reconciled. How is God a just God if in His holiness He allows us to come to Him sinful? It's important for you to understand this. God. Some of us think that Christianity is where we chuck reason out the door. That's wrong. God created reason. He created your intellect. He wants to engage your brain. He wants to engage a thoughtful consideration of whom He is and what He has done for you. So that when you give thanks this Thanksgiving, it is not simply, I thank God that He forgave me for that one time that I. But that it is a much deeper, meaningful, resonant giving thanks where it means something to you. You cannot be grateful for someone paying off all the debt of your life Say, for example, a mortgage on a home, a payment on a car, and credit cards. Unless you know how much they paid. 
This appeasement is the atonement. God, in His loving nature, chooses forgiveness through this atonement. God chose. He made a decision. He chose to provide us this atonement. Jesus made full atonement for man's sin. He paid the debt we owed. Thank God. He reconciled us back to God. He has completely satisfied the demands of a holy God and His holy law. In the cross, He suffered the wrath of God. Sorry. That should have fallen on us. And now God's amazing love and grace has been revealed. The atonement has been made. It is a finished work. Redemption is complete. What did Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them. And it is finished. It is finished. The work is complete. Now, it's important for us to understand that forgiveness via Jesus was God's idea before the world even began. Before you were born, God already had this idea in mind. I encourage you. I invite you. If you need it, I dare you to investigate the forgiveness of Jesus and what it means. The writer of Hebrews says, How then shall we overcome, in reference to how difficult life is, if we ignore so great a salvation? How much time and energy have you given to investigate your salvation, what it means, how it came about? Maybe your look in the mirror, maybe your perspective on your life might be different if you would give time and energy to investigate your salvation, your forgiveness of sins, and what it really means. It was God's idea before the world began. Now, what does this forgiveness do? Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. What does it accomplish? I think it's important for us to understand this. It accomplishes redemption. Now, the word redemption, especially from a Bible perspective, means it refers to the act of buying back. The Romans had slavery, and in particular, they had an economic slavery, where whether you had done something wrong or you had failed financially... You could go to work for someone, whether you were compelled to by the government or you chose to yourself, go work for a person full-time. They would house you and you would feed, feed you, but you would have to work until your debt was paid off. And it was possible for someone else to come as the Redeemer to literally pay off your debt. Well, this has been kind of a heavy sermon, so let me lighten it up for a second. This past week, we had a flat tire and needed to go get it fixed. I went to go get it fixed, and in the garage, the owner of the place had a 2005 Lamborghini Gallardo. And a 1987 Ferrari. My dream car as a young boy. Now, he had bought the Lamborghini himself because his brother owned the Lamborghini. What I, I said that backwards. He bought the Ferrari because his, own, his brother owned the Lamborghini. His brother lost his job. Guess what was going to happen? The car was going to get repoed. And so you know what he did? He paid the $110,000 debt still outstanding on the car to keep it in the family. 
Jesus' sacrifice for you is literally the act of paying the price for your soul to buy you back. From whom? Like it or not, believe it or not, the devil exists. He is alive. He is real. And if you are not in fellowship with God, you are in fellowship with him. That is your ultimate destination. He is the one whose chains of sin bind you. He is the one who owns you. It is the work of Christ on the cross plus nothing that is the act of redeeming you and buying you back to God, the only source of love, hope, peace, and joy. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is our ransom. That ransom word that we get from Scripture is literally the price that was paid. The 110,000. The the cost that was demanded. The blood that must be shed to pay the price to buy you back on your sin. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. What does it mean? It is your substitution. When Jesus went to the cross, it's important for us to understand. He was on the cross in your place. He was your substitute. He stood in place of you when the Father poured out His wrath, poured out the consequences, poured out, why do you think what Jesus said between those two things on the cross was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time, Jesus knew what it was to be separated from the Father. Because when the Father poured out the sin upon Him, He could no longer be at one with Him. That's what hell is. It's not fire. It's not darkness. It's not snakes and spiders. It's not pain. It's that separation from the Father. That's why Jesus, with great pain, called out from the, cry, from the cross, Why have you forsaken me? Because He was your substitute in that moment. Jesus' sacrifice is our reconciliation. It is quite literally, many, many passages in the Bible describe this very articulately. It was Jesus' act of bringing us back to God. Bringing us back into fellowship, into relationship with God. But there's actually an added layer to this word that's used that we don't all get. It was not only that, but it was also bringing us up to God's standard. I think it's helpful for us to understand these things, don't you? What are the benefits of... Wait. Right. In this substitution, in this act of reconciliation, we have justification. You need to understand what that means. What that means is not just, just as if I never sin. It means more than that. It means that Jesus paid the price that was required for your pardon. The pardon for your penalty. And it was also the righteousness that was counted. Now this Bible word righteousness means right relationship with God, right relationship with others. Not only was Jesus paying the price for our sins, but he was also giving us his own righteousness. So that when the Father looks at us now, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, not a zero. This is an important fact. This is an important truth. And it changed our position. Instead of being separated from God, headed the wrong direction, it makes us one with God and back a part of His family. And closing up, a few other Bible words that are so important to us. 
these benefits of atonement, this justification is also regeneration or it's Jesus himself who is speaking in John 3 of this new life of being born again. It is adoption. It is quite literally born of flesh. Jesus brings us in to the family of God. Sanctification, meaning we are now, because of Jesus, set apart completely for Him with a purpose. Life is not over when you ask for forgiveness of sins. That's when it begins. Oh, it's done. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Who led you to Jesus with that idea? Your life is not over when you come to Jesus. It begins. We are sanctified. We're set apart. Perfection. That's a part of what Jesus does in you. He initiates at that moment of faith, at that moment of new birth, the bringing you to a place of completion. Do you know that that's possible? That's what Jesus does. It's this salvation, this glorification. Paul wrote Romans 5, but God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. He's not still on the cross. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Can you say amen to God's word? Isn't this good? Jesus is forgiveness. I pray that that's uh, what you're thankful for this week. We're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer before we dismiss this morning. And when we do, I want to give a very specific invitation to you this morning. If you're here and you've never known that new life, today can be your day. It's no mistake that you're here. It's not on accident. God loves you. This forgiveness, this new life is possible for you. It's a very simple confession of sins of your past, your mistakes, and turning towards Him and confessing your faith that He can make you whole, that He can make you right. It is very simple, and yet it is life-changing. And as Brittany leads us into prayer this morning, I want to invite you to come forward here and let myself, Rebecca, or someone else pray for you, or to reach out to someone in your prayer group and ask for prayer. It's time. It's time to stop trying to make it happen on your own and to receive the forgiveness that's found in Him. Come to Jesus today. Receive forgiveness and receive new life. Amen. Brittany.